pay attention to the clock in your body, not the one on the wall. So this comes from my second It's About Time book, which was called The First Two Hours. And so the first thing we have to recognise is that not all humans are created equal and there are times of day, a chunk of us are, but for the most part the morning is when we're more mentally alert and have high levels of mental alertness and the afternoon we have more physical dexterity. So the first thing we want to do is recognise what are the things that you require a bit of mental intensity And we need to protect some time in the morning for those. Welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. If you're an accomplished professional ready to attract ideal opportunities, level up your career growth and create a powerful presence in your industry, you're in the right space. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and I'm passionate about helping executives and business professionals become visible in their space establish themselves as a leading authority and create their dream opportunities. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Career Success Coach podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and today we'll be talking all things productivity, one of my favorite topics. And joining us is Donna McGeorge, who's passionate about enhancing the large amount of time that we spend in our workplace, too much for many, to ensure it's effective and productive as well as enjoyable. Donna believes that workplaces are complex, but not hard. More often than not, it's getting the simple things right consistently that has the greatest impact. She also knows that when we decide to be intentional, we can surprise ourselves with what we can achieve. Known as the productivity coach, I can't wait to speak to Donna about all things productivity. Welcome, Donna. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. It's wonderful, actually, to be seeing you today and getting to be able to talk about this stuff because I find whenever I speak to you, I always walk away with some nuggets of gold and something I can apply. I do actually use Donna's book here. It's about time, that one. Oh, yes, the little (laughs) journal. Yes. I know quite a bit about how that works, but I really want to get into it today. So first of all, let's start with your career. Tell us a little bit about your career. Oh, gosh, it's been so up and down and all over the place. I do not have a standard career path. I gave up on uni, decided to become a secretary, tried to learn shorthand, but figured out I could write longhand faster than I could do shorthand. However, I became an exceptional typist. I've always been really hot with my typing and accurate. I kind of dabbled in EA stuff early in my career and then at some point I found myself reporting to a sales guy actually and spent a lot of time with him and his team having to do expense claim forms and no one ever got the expense claim form things right because the thing about finance is they always want to make your expense claim forms about as complicated as they possibly can to try and limit the amount of stuff that's claimed I guess and so they asked me if I could run a short training on how to do expense claim forms because I was good at them. And that was the first time I ever went to the front of the room and delivered a training. And that was almost like I I got to the front and I said, hello, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. And so from then on, I decided to be a trainer. So I got into IT training. I was a Word Excel PowerPoint trainer, blah, 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 in various jobs to about 20 years ago, put out my shingle and became a trainer and facilitator for hire. And what became very clear is that the way in which I thought everyone ran the world, like me, wasn't, and that people struggle with things. And I found myself giving people permission to do little things like 
block some time in your diary. Oh, can I do that? Ah, sure you can. Can I have a day where I don't do meetings at all? Sure you can. And I realised that some people could use some help. Yes. With the way in which I do the world. They sure can. I mean, I know it's something I've read a lot about it. I'm not sure I'm that good at executing on it all the time, but I'm a big believer in having those days where there's no meetings and you just get stuff done, especially if you're creative. One of the questions, obviously, we work a lot on building your profile. So when did you start building your profile and how have you sort of found that journey? Well, I would say the first time I became aware of profile building and positioning, if you will, that probably translates more into my world was around 2014 and I was privileged to hear a lady called Janine Garner speak and I was trying to become a thought leader in the world and I was really struggling with what to be a thought leader in. So I could have easily been a thought leader in training or HR or productivity or presentation skills or there were so many things I could have done. And then Janine said something that stuck with me forever is, was basically very simply, just pick something and just go positioning, positioning, positioning. And so that's kind of when I said, right, I'm just going to go meetings. And it didn't take me long to be positioned as Donna McGeorge, the meetings person. And I've played around with this. I muck around with this all the time is how quickly can I become known as the person? Yes. So I've been the teacup lady. I was the leopard lady for a lot of years. I wore leopard print every day for 15 years. So I was the leopard lady for a while. Don't Google that because I'm not that leopard lady. I was, you know, I did teacup chronicles, permission granted, meetings, productivity. More recently, I've become the chat GPT ladies. So probably 2014 was when I first became aware of it. And now I'm absolutely, it's kind of what I spend most of my time doing really is making sure my positioning and brand is all in good shape. Yes. Fantastic. Good to hear. So you've obviously got three books that you've written. Actually, I've written 11. Yes, so I was going to reference the About Time series, but you're right, there's 11. There's 11, but look, it's okay because the first few are rubbish. So no one wants to go and get the completed works of Donna McGeorge because the first few books, I was learning how to write books in the beginning, so don't go for them. But you're right, it's About Time series, really good. Yes, and it's something that people really struggle with. I've just jumped off a coaching call with one of my clients and we were talking about that she was struggling with the amount of work that she had on and she's just taken on a new role and there's just stuff coming at her left, right and centre. And obviously, you know, you want to prioritise what you're being rewarded on and valued on and measured on. But have you got any other sort of tips for how she could do that? Ask all of my people to do, my coaching clients around this space, is to pay attention to the clock in your body, not the one on the wall. So this comes from my second It's About Time book, which was called The First Two Hours. And so the first thing we have to recognise is that not all humans are created equal and there are times of day, a chunk of us are, but for the most part the morning is when we're more mentally alert and have high levels of mental alertness and the afternoon we have more physical dexterity. So the first thing we want to do is recognise what are the things that you require a bit of mental intensity And we need to protect some time in the morning for those. So that's kind of at a high level. There's a framework around what we do across the day. But the other thing I'd say is her, probably the lever she would need to pull is what I call the fourth two hours. So it's actually my favourite two hours, which is bizarre given that the book's called the first two hours. But the fourth two hours is when you stop at around, probably around 4, 4.30 every day and you stop for half an hour and you take stock of what you've done, where you got to, what's happening, 
and then you think, okay, tomorrow morning, how do I set myself up for success now to make tomorrow morning the best possible morning it could be? And so that could be doing a bit of prep for some meetings. It could be moving some other stuff around. Can I suggest this lady sounds to me like she needs this to do a big list of things she's not going to do because her to-do list is out of control. Yes. So she needs to probably go through and say, here's the whole bunch of things I'm just not going to do either this week or ever. Yes. And probably the third thing I'd say is that there's some good filters to run through. So is it me or not me that needs to do this? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So me or not me is the first filter. And then the second one is now or not now. Right? Can I push it out for a month? Sometimes, I don't know what this person's like, but I have a tendency to be a procrastinator. So a lot of people complain about I'm such a procrastinator. I'm like, no, I'm a procrastinator, not a procrastinator. So a procrastinator thinks that they have to get everything done today, now, by five o'clock, by Friday afternoon. They put these arbitrary deadlines in place and it creates feelings of overwhelm. So the next thing I'd say is to your client, are you creating the time pressures? What would happen if you gave yourself more time to do this? So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I think we can all relate to it. I think I'm probably a bit of both, to be honest. But just on that point you made about some people are good in the mornings and some people aren't. So I've been getting up recently at 5.15 to jump on a call at 5.30 till 6. Now, what I find is either so tired by 9 (laughs) o'clock that I'm really questioning whether I can even stay up for the day or I'm tired by 6am and I want to go back to sleep. Now, is that a body clock thing or is that something that I just need to push through? You know, I'd say that's a body clock thing. It could be, look, what's your energy like at 5.30? I mean, are you showing up and you're feeling good? I mean, the thing is, I read a really interesting article today about micro stresses. Right. And it's new research that's come out around the impact of lots of little things that are just relentless in nature that end up pushing us over the edge. Straw that broke the camel's back. No surprises here that we, we know about that. But the really interesting thing about this research is how we fool our body and our brain. So normally with a big stressor, it triggers stuff in our brain and body to help us compensate with that. But with little micro stresses that don't really hit the radar as big things, it doesn't trigger the same kind of coping mechanisms in our body. And so it could be that these early morning calls, what I'd call a micro stressor, and they're not triggering the extra bit of adrenaline or the extra bit of cortisol that you might need to push through. So it could be that. But I look, I have the same thing. I tend to wake up most days around 5.15, but I don't get out of bed and I certainly don't book anything in my diary before 8 unless I really have to. So, you know, the first two hours is not on waking, it's on working. So when you sit down and decide, I'm, it's a, my start time is about 8 o'clock most days, so I protect that from 8 till 10 for my most important stuff. And I try not to do meetings at that time, but sometimes you can't help it. But, yeah, I reckon that is a body clock thing. Maybe it could be that you're, you're temporarily hindering your melatonin production and then something is happening that's kicking the melatonin back in or it never quite stopped yes. or it didn't have time to stop properly, maybe. Right, because it's very dark at that hour, I've got to say, and I keep thinking, yeah, Yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> melatonin needs sunshine. Yes. It goes okay with unnatural light, but, gee, it works best with sunshine, right? So if it's still dark. Your body's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm sure that and the whole house is asleep still, so it's probably not, you know, ideal. So with your book, that this productivity system, it's about time, you split it up into four sections, which I love. We talked about the last two hours, 
the fourth two hours. No, <laughs> it's all two-hour chunks. So there's the first two hours, which is the time that typically most of us are at our most alert. Yes. And then the last two hours or the fourth two hours. So there's the first, second, third, fourth two hours, assuming an eight-hour workday. And right now some of your listeners are going, eight hours, she's dreaming. Well, one of the things I find when I'm really conscious about using that is how much I get done. It's just amazing, right? And all all these little things that, you know, I'd sort of put off and, oh, that's so annoying. Yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And they just get done because it's like, oh, I love crossing this off. I love it. And then you talk about the four types of space. Can you go into that a little bit more? Sure. So that's a little bit different. So all publishers love a good model in a book. So there's always a good model. But the four types of spaces are spaces that we need to create for ourselves so that we can show up as our best selves and have the capacity to do and focus on the things that are most important. So I talk about thinking, breathing, living and working space. So thinking space is actually having the time to do exactly that, to think. And it's any of your listeners now, if I say to them, what does it feel like, and viewers, what does it feel like when a meeting gets cancelled? Usually people go, oh, my God, it's fantastic, right, because now I have this whole hour or more to do stuff. So I call those purple patches. And so those purple patches, the the choicefulness about what we do in that time is I think what makes it the most powerful, you know, because now that the meeting's cancelled, I get to choose what I do in that time. And so I think everyone needs to protect, uh, book a meeting with yourself, cancel it at the last minute if you want to have that gorgeous feeling, but have a meeting booked in with yourself every day for an hour and that's your thinking space. Now, initially, you're going to end up catching up on work, right, because we've just got so much that we need to do. But at some point when your activity horizon begins to move to work in front of you rather than I'm playing catch-ups because all this stuff was due yesterday to now I'm looking forward to work, there comes a time when that becomes a space just to think and ponder. So thinking space becomes really important for you and any of your team. Yeah, that sounds like a really lovely place to get to where you can just do that. And it's so important in a creative, you know, when you're creating content. And that's something that I know a lot of my clients and people that I speak to struggle with is when they're wanting to have some, create some content once a week or whatever they've set for themselves, but just finding that time to think before they write or review after they've written. So that sounds like a really good suggestion for them. Everyone needs to have some thinking space built in. So overall, this creates what I would call adaptive capacity. I'll talk about that when I get to the end. So breathing space tends to be more, it answers the question, particularly those who are working parents who are spend all their week at work and are meant to have some downtime on the weekend to recharge the batteries and be able to get ready to go back into the ring on the Monday. And yet so often they'll say to me with extracurricular activities, sporting events, birthdays, demands from kids, keeping the kids entertained or whatever, gets about four o'clock on a Sunday before most parents are taking a break. And so I talk about you've got to create some breathing space for yourself over a weekend as well. Now, this is not about telling the whole family to go away. It's more about how do I get outdoors? How do I do something relaxing? How do I take an hour or two on a weekend and just sit under a tree? Some people can do that while they're at soccer. Yes, okay, right. that is hard. They, they choose to sit under the tree and just relax. You know, it's okay a little bit to do that, but you've got to have some space where you are. Thinking. And the other thing about it, it's probably more related to living space, is you've got to figure out how to remove friction. Friction in both breathing and living space is the stuff that just takes longer, is harder to do because we haven't got some good systems in place. So 
If I was to say to you, what's the thing that you always lose around the house? You can never find when you need it. It's things like car keys, scissors, phone chargers, all that sort of stuff. So it's about having a system of where things belong. Yes. And that creates less friction for both your breathing space because it means we can move out of the house and into the house easier. But then once we're in the house or at work even, having everything in its place just makes life a bit easier. So what have I done so far? Thinking, breathing, living, working space is the fourth one. Um, and for some of us, it's, it's around making sure we know why we do what we do. Can't imagine how much energy gets wasted on a bad day if you're not clear on your purpose in work. So really being clear on defining why I do what I do, it like reduces the amount of energy used. Um, I talk about batching work, putting things so you don't have to be in your email all day. You can look at it at certain times a day. It's uh, better for you or even just once a day if you want. Now, if that makes anyone vomit in their mouth, <laughs> not having their email open all day, that might be the thing you need to do. And then also either delegating or asking for help. Right? You need 15% buffer in your life, whether that's, you know, your bookshelf needs to have 15% space, your wardrobe needs 15% space, your calendar needs 15% space. We just need to create some kind of buffer of 15% in our world. So on a work week, that's around three to four hours a week. Or five, like we do an hour a day or about, say, half day, one day, just to give ourselves a buffer. So what would the buffer look like? If I had a buffer in my week, would that look like me blocking out time in my diary? Yeah, mostly it would be you blocking out time in your diary and protecting it like your life dependent on it. The mistake most people make, and this is a bit, a bit like the client that you mentioned earlier, is that they are booked out to full capacity. So their diaries are full, their emails are overflowing, there's people coming at them on the phone. And so all it takes is one curveball and it's like they're a house of cards, the whole thing will crumble. I think that's so challenging when everything appears urgent as well. That's the world. Yeah, everything needs to be done yesterday. And I suppose one of the things that we talked about was the conversations that you have to have with people. Can you recommend any sort of styles around that? The conversations that you might have to have with people about defining those boundaries around your space yes. or your work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say to use the word capacity. Right, okay. It's really hard to argue against. You know, Sarah comes to me and says, hey, Donna, I need you to do this bit of work, this bit of work, and we have this meeting tomorrow. And Or Auntie Sarah comes to me and says, hey, we've got this family thing. We need you to come and bring your brownies that you're so good at making. <laughs> it's really hard to say no to that. But, gee, it's easy to say, I just don't have the capacity. Yes, I love I don't that. have the capacity to take on that extra piece of work. I don't have any capacity in my diary for a meeting this week. Can we move it to next week? I can come to the party, Auntie Sarah, but I don't have the capacity to make my brownies. Do you mind if I just pick up some donuts on the way over? Or even better, hey, Auntie Sarah, I'm sorry I can't make it this weekend. I just don't have the capacity right now for that. Oh, I love it's it. It's very hard for Auntie Sarah to say, yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> Let me have a look at your diary. I'll find some Yes, space. right. And so the, the thing is, though, when you build buffer and adaptive capacity in, so it could be in the form of blocking time, it could be in the form of just not giving as much. So perfectionists are always going for 100% perfect all the time. What if you just went for 85% is good enough? Because let's face it, I think good enough and satisfactory is massively underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but because we're constantly going for more, 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 better, 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 best, 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 harder, 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 like all these things. So I say, nah, eighty-five percent is good enough. Because let's face it, your eighty-five percent is probably someone else's hundred percent anyway. Yeah. Right? Because what you want adaptive capacity for is 
for me, I want it for opportunities like this to be on your podcast because if I'm so busy, I don't ever want to be that person when someone does come to me that says, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm completely booked out for three months, right? Because what if I miss a cool opportunity to be on a podcast or a client has this really cool piece of work? So I want to always have adaptive capacity in there to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah. Now, the worst thing that can happen is no opportunity presents itself, so I'll just knock off early on a Friday. Yeah. There's worse things, isn't there? Right. It's interesting because I often talk to my clients about the importance of doing the job, so getting your career done, but not forgetting about your own career as an entity of its own, where you're going and investing in sort of where you want to be and that the job is the job, but there's also you and where you want to go. And I think putting your strategies in place can really help someone who is sort of just down or just getting so much work that they actually are struggling to do those extra things they want to do that will further them, such as building their profile or joining a board or doing some professional development, whatever it might be, because I love Well, they're the things that their future selves will thank them for. So that's the the key part to this, which is why I like the fourth two hours because I'm doing things in the fourth two hours of the day that my future self, my tomorrow self will thank me for. So things like going on boards, doing some professional development, you know, going into your diary right now, you might have to go three or four weeks into it and blocking some chunks of time and protecting those like your life depended on it because when those days come about, absolutely your future self sits there and goes, ah, look at this. So I read an article recently about untouchable days. This is a a guy, he's a journalist and he's a professional writer. And so even his family is not allowed to touch him on those days. Right, So he takes himself off somewhere for a whole day, no meetings, no interruptions, no one can call him. And his wife's like, well, what if there's an emergency? And he said, well, let's be very clear on what constitutes an emergency, but of course if there's an emergency you can reach out to me. Now, he does them weekly. Wow. And even I did a bit of a vomit in my mouth around that. I thought, oh, gee, that'd be tough. But I am toying with this idea of finding a day sometimes in the next month that I completely block out where I am untouchable. So with my clients, I talk about it, you know, if you had to go into hospital and have a procedure or someone you loved, a child, a parent, a sibling, whatever, had to go into hospital for a procedure and you had the day off to do that, you should treat those days like that. There's no way I would cancel that and do a bunch of meetings, right? No. Yeah, and so those kinds of days, I think, for leaders, if you're thinking career-wise, critical for your future. Yes, I love that. I love that. What are you doing for yourself for tomorrow? I think that's really powerful as well. I know that you have a new book coming out. <laughs> Very exciting. What's it called? Well, it is productivity, but it's not necessarily in the same vein as the other three. It's about time books. It's called The Chat GPT Revolution How to Simplify Your Work and Life Admin with AI. Wow. So it's all about ChatGPT and AI, but using it from a productivity perspective. How can it help us save a bit of time? Because it's real cool. Like it's a really cool tool. So I love it for content ideas or just, you know, an opening starter for a post or that sort of thing. But I haven't even thought about doing it or using it for admin or anything else like that. So do you want to... Anything you can share sure. with us? Any little tips you can give us as Yeah, yeah. I'm trying now to think about when I wouldn't use it. Now, there are some things it can't do yet. 
So I can't read our minds yet. This is changing. Like every day this stuff changes. So there's now kind of plugins and Microsoft are looking at embedding it into the office program. So it's just going to get better and better and better at it. But for the moment, ChatGPT is a doer, not a thinker. Yes. I don't think there's a substitute for thinking. It's all about the question that you craft or the prompt that you craft to put into it. And so the more context you give it, the better the answer. So I like to think of it as an eager intern. Ah. So an eager intern wants to work really hard and do the right thing and be really good good and, you know, impress you and all of that stuff. But, gee, sometimes it needs a bit of content and a bit of training and a bit of support, right? And so the more you can give it, the better your responses would be. So just today I'm looking at getting some help because of the launch of the book and because I'm doing a bit of travel. I thought I'll get myself a bit of social media support just for a 12-week project. And so I asked it to give me the scope. Can you scope out what the project's going to look like? I told it, you know, I'm launching a book. It's with a publisher. It's in Australia. These are the dates. Can you just scope out what the role, what the project scope might look like? Now, it was probably 80% there and then I tweaked it. Wow. I get stuck. You know, someone sends me an email and for a job and I don't want to do it. Yep. <laughs> and so, hey, ChatGPT, this is the job, this is the context. I don't want to do it, but I want to maintain the relationship. Can you help me craft the email? Boom, it'll craft the email for me. Um, I've used it on LinkedIn for that. People get in touch with you on LinkedIn and say, let's have a coffee. And I don't know I'm from a bar of soap and I'm pretty sure they're going to try and sell me something. And so I uh, had to do a polite no. So this kind of comes back to your original question around boundaries. It's really good at helping you craft boundary-related communications, both verbal, because you can just verbatim read off yeah. if you want, or written. And anyone that's listening now go is probably going, I've heard that it makes stuff up. Yes, it does. Yeah, you have to be careful. You have to know what your topic is. So you still got to be careful because yeah. Yeah, your little intern, remember your eager intern is so eager they might accidentally misunderstand something and misrepresent something, yes. right? I mean, because a human being has never done that before, yes. right? With ChatGPT too, unless it's a bit like briefing. I kind of consider it a bit like briefing somebody to fix your website. If you don't know what to call parts of your website or what you want on your website, then you're not going to get a very good sort of, you know. No, if you don't know the language, I was using another example because it's really good for meal planning and recipes oh my and shopping lists and, wow. oh, my goodness. It's So I've got a mate who's got kids in there who are type 1 diabetics and celiacs and so could you imagine trying to put meal plans together to accommodate that but if you tell it that I've got celiacs and type 1 diabetics living in my house can you put a five-day meal plan together and then from the meal plan generate me a shopping list and then put that shopping list in the order of supermarket layout oh my gosh wow right now how long did that take now I I've done it I'm not quite the type I'm nearly type 2 borderline I manage it type 2 diabetic and so I say to it, you know, I've got a borderline type 2 diabetes, put a meal plan together for things that will take less than 30 minutes to cook because, hello, time. It was a bit heavy on the salmon <laughs> and fish. Now, I like salmon and fish, but not every day. So then I have to say to it, look, can I just have one fish meal and the rest non-fish meals? So, look, it can do travel planning. It can help you financially plan if you put some enough parameters in and say, help me. I don't mean as in financial planning, please sign a disclaimer, blah, blah, blah. I just mean, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm earning, here's my goals, put together a plan for me about how I might achieve my goals. It can do that. Wow. It's awesome. It's wow. just awesome. It sounds fantastic. Well, we can't wait to read your book then. Now, tell us before we finish up, 
Where can we find you online? I know we can find you. So for everyone who's listening and watching, where can um, they get in contact with you? The easiest is donnamcgeorge.com, pretty straightforward, but I'm on all the good socials and I'm a bit of a shameless self-promoter. So once you start following me, I'll be everywhere. But donnamcgeorge.com is the easiest place to get hold of me. And that's where all my books and all my other stuff is. Fantastic. And just before we say goodbye, any lasting sort of words of wisdom you want to leave us with? When you finish listening to this episode, just stop for about, I don't know, five or 10 minutes and take stock of where you're at and think to yourself, what is one thing I could do right now that my future self will thank me for? So like literally immediately, what is one thing that my future self will thank me for? That's always my last word. I love that too. Well, thank you so much, Donna. Now for everyone who's listening, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe if you're not already. Thanks so much, Donna. Bye. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've learned something from this episode that's going to help you make actionable changes in the way you approach your career. If you liked today's episode, make sure to rate, review and share this with a friend. And as always, see you next time.